Bridge, and thank you so much for being here today, and thank you so much for allowing me to take this weekend off. Uh, my surgery at this time is behind me, and uh, thank you for allowing me to have some time for healing. I want to tell you just a little bit about our guest speaker today, and I'm going to refer to my notes, so please forgive me uh, for that. David List has been coming to the bridge, he and his family, for she was, I don't know, probably close to a year now. But David is a white man who was truly an African-American. He was born in Durban, South Africa, to a most royal missionary family. He was given a Zulu name at birth. David lived in Rhodesia during the time of civil war and unrest for the country, especially unrest for Christians. It was typical in David's life to experience the excitement of seeing God do incredible, amazing things, turn bad situations into very good situations. David List will speak to you today. In short, has seen a lot of miracles. David uh, was also in Kenya, where as a boy, he uh, braved the elements. He chased giraffes around on a motorcycle. How many of you can say that and make that claim? He camped on safari. And uh, David spent a night inside an inactive volcano. So this guy who's going to speak to you today has done some pretty awesome things. David has traveled and ministered on four continents and 10 more countries, uh, Philippines, United States, 10 or more countries, I'm sorry, uh, Philippines, United States, Costa Rica, Colombia, South Africa, Kenya, Ethiopia, Burundi, Rwanda, Zaire, Rhodesia, all these places are places where David has been. David List lives a life yielded to God. David's one of the best Christian men I know. He is a man of uncompromising character. He lives his life by the principle that God is bigger than whatever our reality is, whatever you're going through, God's bigger than that. David pursues God with fervor, is a very compassionate and passionate person. He wants to see believers discover God's purpose in their lives and to live that purpose out. God is not simply a part of David's life. God is David's entire life. Let me tell you a little bit about David's family. His wife is Cecile, and she serves on our worship team here at the bridge. You've seen her many times up here helping Pastor Jared and uh, Pastor Matt lead us in worship. His children are Hannah, age 23, Allison, age 22, Chris is 20, and Daniel is 13. His daughter, Allison, is married to Adam, and I'm probably gonna slaughter this last name, Zelikich, I think maybe is the way you say his last name. And he is, uh, they are about to have a baby, so David is about to be a grandfather, and I'm very jealous about that. Uh, David has a bachelor's degree in Christian ministries from Emmanuel College. He has a master's degree in church history and doctrine from Regent University. He is the son of the legendary missionaries, Philip and Galia List, and he is an 11th generation minister of the gospel. David is currently serving as a real estate agent, but there's no doubt in my mind that God has much bigger plans for David's life in the near future. Now, I'm confident that David 
is very uncomfortable with this introduction. David doesn't like this kind of thing. But you know, the word of God instructs us to give honor to whom honor is due. And Bridge family, I want you right now to join me in making David List welcome to the Bridge pulpit. David, come on out. God bless you, brother. I love you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I don't know if I'm on or not. Thank you very much. Good morning. Yes, there we go. Thank you, Bridge. It's so good to be here with family this morning. Um, we are so delighted to be able to call Bridge Church our home church. I've been to churches all over this country and all over the world, and this feels like home. And uh, we've been here a little bit longer than a year, but uh, um, for a while when we were coming here, we just kind of sat quiet out there, and, and uh, we needed some time to soak and be refreshed and to be built up, and, and we just love being here and being a part of your family as well. So thank you so much for, for uh, I know you didn't know I was going to be here, but I'm thankful for that Pastor Farrell gave me the opportunity to come and share with you today. And uh, uh, my roots go deep in this area. My mom was a Johnson County girl. She grew up on a farm not too far from here and plowed with a mule because she was the oldest of, of five. And the first three, uh, I believe the first three were girls. And so they needed a, someone to take up the plow and help out on the field. So she was a tough lady. September, she turned 80 years old and is headed back to Africa January as a missionary to continue her work over there. So uh, um, she is an amazing lady. My dad passed away for a few years ago, but, but mom decided to stay on the mission field. Look, I want to just tell you something. I know that all of our journeys are a little bit different, and we have all have one common thing, and that is that we here at the bridge today. But all of us came here through different means. Some of you may have heard about it in conversation. Some of you may have seen billboards. But you came to the bridge for the most part, most of us, probably because somebody took the time to reach out and invite you to be here. And since we're heading into the holiday season where there may be some people out there that you work with, uh, maybe some people that you're in school with or family members that you know that may be looking for a place to go during the holidays. I just want to put a word out there to you. Use the opportunity to be able to just make them aware of the bridge and invite them to come out and be a part of one of the services here. I think it's a great opportunity to get people the opportunity to, to be introduced to Jesus and get introduced to our fellowship of believers. And uh, we can make a, a change in, in somebody's life through that. Um, how many of you are enjoying the Minecraft series? Uh, for those of you that have been here, I'm loving it. When my son uh, heard that theme, he got excited about it, looked at me and smiled because uh, both of my boys have spent time playing the game Minecraft. Anybody played the game Minecraft? A few of you? Okay. Um, you may or may not be familiar with it, but I'll give you just a little brief uh, background on it. It is a game that um, if you've got plenty of time on your hands, you could do some pretty amazing things. But basically, you're going around with pickaxes and different type of things, and you're digging up dirt, and, and you're mining, digging down into the earth. And in the earth, you're discovering all different kinds of elements or substances or things that you can then harvest and take back to wherever you want to establish something. And you can build a home. You can build a city. And I've seen some pretty amazing things that people have done. And I've watched my boys. 
I've got, I, I'm not that good at the game myself. I'm, I, I haven't ever tried Minecraft, and I don't spend a lot of time playing video games. But I've seen some amazing things that people have done because they took the time to get in there and dig, and you have to just randomly go and find those things that you take and then harvest as resources that then become foundational to be able to create, create some kind of amazing masterpiece that, uh, that you know, becomes your territory in the life. The reason why I'm taking that bridge to that is because we're in, in a process through this series looking at gratitude, looking at thankfulness and what that means in our lives. Now, it's foundational when we've got little kids that are growing up and they get a Christmas present or a birthday present um, that as soon as they open those presents, I know that I've seen with my kids at times where they would rip into the present and then they're like, there's another present and they will rip into that present and you think, but you take a moment and appreciate that first thing that you unwrapped and at least turn around and say thank you to grandma or granddad for having purchased it for them because you're like, okay, you know, you're representing here. But they're ready to move on to the next exciting thing and sometimes not taking the time to say thank you. And so we try to establish into the system of their thinking and their process of interacting when they receive something that they would stop and say thank you. Say thank you to the person who's helped you out. Every one of us have had people in our lives that have extended themselves to us to give us gifts or to maybe offer opportunities to us through life that have helped us to be able to be the people that we are. And let's go to that, that verse in 1 Thessalonians um, 5 and 18, the first one there. Let's just look at this. It says, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Now, I have to ask you to forgive me. I've got this on-again, off-again relationship with my glasses. I turned 50 this week, and this is my birthday present. Um, so I, I, I asked my mom about it the other day because I got to where I, it's just easier to wear them on the end of my nose like that and, and look out there like a teacher. Um, and my mom, who, again, is, has turned 80 in September, I said, Mom, what do you think? Should I wear them when I'm preaching? Should I take them off? She said, David, it looks goofy. So it's always good to have support, you know. <clears throat> Anyhow, the Scripture says, Be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you. I don't know about you, but that challenges me right there. When it says be thankful, sure, I don't mind being thankful and grateful for things. But when they add that next part where it says in all circumstances, there's part of that that causes me to stop and pause and, and question a little bit. Because how can you be thankful in all circumstances? So we're going to take some time and dig into this a little bit today. Then the scripture says, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. And one thing we can be thankful for, as seen in that scripture, is that we can belong to, to, belong to Christ Jesus, that we can have a relationship with him and be a, a part of his family. And if we're a part of his family, then we're seeing that thankfulness is a, a part of what God wants to be a part of our life. God sees thankfulness and gratitude as something that's a necessary foundational cornerstone of our life if we're going to be successful in life. So we're digging in on the mind craft, crafting of the mind. We're discovering things that are, are, need to be a part of our life. There's another rendering of that, that verse in, in uh, the Phillips translation. Be thankful whatever the circumstances may be. If you follow this advice, you will be working out the will of God expressed to you 
in Christ Jesus. So again, we see that we're challenged to be thankful in whatever circumstance. Now, now I can stop right there and tell you there's probably people who are hearing that, but you're going through something, and I don't know what area it may be. It could be in your health. It could be in your family relationships. It could be in the relationship between the dynamic of parent to children. It could be that, that your work situation is such that what you're going through, you're challenged by that when it says, whatever the circumstances may be, how can I find any way to be grateful in what I'm dealing with? And we'll spend some time with that. But let's look at three different responses that someone may, may have related to gratitude. Okay, when somebody does something for them, these are three different responses. First, this is a positive response, a response of gratitude. Gratitude is a thankful appreciation with the recognition that much of what we receive from others in life is undeserved. How many of you can testify that a lot of things that you've received through life were just undeserved and somebody chose to be kind to you? Somebody did an act of kindness towards you. They gave you something. They gave you an opportunity. They may have given you some physical thing, but it was, for the most part, was undeserved. Somebody just, just decided to do a kindness to you. Growing up, mama's up cooking breakfast. You know, she's washing your clothes. How many of us take those things for granted? Um, There's so many things that people do for us in life. And, uh, you know, um, um, I'm telling myself a little bit. Last night I was up a little bit later and I got into the kitchen and went to working on the dishes in the kitchen and, and my wife did not fall over when she saw me in there. She, uh, she came in there and started helping out. But um, the late night dishes, I, I, in recent years, I'm, I'm going to blame it on being 50, but it just seems like I fall asleep real easy and things like that. But um, last night I got in the kitchen and I think I earned a few brownie points with that, but I helped out with the dishes. So I'm thankful for that. But a lot of what we receive in life, we really don't deserve. We've just, somebody has shown us an act of kindness. So gratitude helps us recognize that I didn't really earn everything that I have in life, but somebody extended themselves to me and helped me to be able to have or receive what I, what I got. Now, here's another example of a response when somebody was given something. When um, uh, Pastor Farrell shared a whole lot of very kind things um, um, and uh, a little overwhelming to me, but I can tell you, there's a whole lot of stories. If we had plenty of time, and I won't labor you with all those today, there's a lot of things that I could share you, some really amazing experience that God enabled me to have so far in life. One of those things was when my parents first went to Africa's missionaries, and he mentioned that I was born in Durban, South Africa. My parents went among the Zulu people in South Africa and worked with the Zulu people. Um, because of that, uh, um, Dad, throughout his, his life in Africa as a missionary, learned over eight African languages and could speak eight African languages. He, he murdered French whenever he tried French, but he could speak African languages just fine. But um, he was away building a church when I was born. And um, because of that, that was kind of like, you know, that's what it's like in the ministry. Sometimes you're so caught up doing other things, you're not able to take care of the home front. But he was away, and one of the deacons in the church had to take my mom to the hospital when I was born. And... Uh, it took about three days before the message ever got to Dad that he had a son. And it came by telegraph, and that tells something about my age. But when the telegraph finally came, the African people did not consider having a child that fantastic a thing at that time because they had many. 
And uh, I, somebody finally casually walked up to Dad and said, oh, oh, yeah, by the way, the other day a message came that your wife had had a son. And when they did, my dad said, praise the Lord. And he got all excited and was jumping up and down. And so two of the men that were with Dad that day named me. My sister was just in South Africa at a conference, and she met two of those men and took a picture with them and sent it to me. But they were w with me. One of the guys' name was God Blessing Shandu. God Blessing Shandu, that was his name. But he helped name me, and he gave me the name Susi Isidumu. So I am the, the boy named Sue. Um, <laughs> Susi Isidumu. Um, but it means that he causes his father to make a loud, joyful noise because dad was jumping up and down and shouting, praise the Lord. So it's been my pleasure in life not only to, to endeavor to live in such a way that my earthly father could take pleasure in the way I live, but also I want to give glory to God. And I want to do something in life that's substantive enough to where God can take pleasure in my living. I want to give back just a little bit for everything that he has lavished upon my life. So I was named by the, the Zulu people. Shortly after that, we moved just north of South Africa into the country that was Rhodesia and is now Zimbabwe. We lived there for 10 years during their civil war. And a very, very hard time. It really, with everything that we went through, there were times when my parents would leave to go off to church on a Sunday afternoon and they would pull us children together. And we were, at that time, we were about age 16 down through age 5. Some, somewhere in that, in that uh, time frame, maybe even down to age two. Um, but they would pull us together and have prayer for us uh, after we'd had lunch. They were going out into a more re remote area, and they said, now, if we're not back by, by 6 o'clock in the evening, we want you to go to the filing cabinet, and here there's a file in there called personal documents, and you'll find your passports in there. And uh, here's a phone number that we're going to write down for you. And if, if we're not back by 6, call these people and give them your passports because they don't know what to do with you. Because it was a very real possibility that mom and dad's life could be taken in that environment that they were living in. So we grew up with some pretty strange things in, in our life. But when we first went to that country, dad was working among the Matabele people, which is a cousin tribe to the Zulus. Something you need to know about the Matabele were that they didn't ask for things. If you had something and they liked it, they took it. That was their culture. If, especially in the earlier days, thankfully before we were there, but in the earlier days, if you had something, they liked it, and you refused to give it to them, they would kill you and take it. So they were a warring tribe. They were actually uh, wiping out the other tribes around them um, uh, and that was just, they were, they were taking the land, they were taking all the possessions. That's the, that was their, the, the nature of their tribe. And so in calmer days, when dad went there and went to learn the Matabele language, or the Indabele is what it's called, they actually ended up, um, he, dad was trying to find out, how do you say thank you when someone gives you something? What do you say? And they were kind of puzzled about that word thank you. They said, well, when somebody gives us something, we say Una dino gusasa. Una dino gusasa. And dad said, Una dino gusasa. What does that mean? And that, he, they said, that means don't be tired to do it again tomorrow. <laughs> so you, you pour out your heart, you give somebody something, and then they say, don't be tired to do it again tomorrow. Husbands, I don't recommend that you try that on your wives. But that's one response, not really a response of gratitude. You may appreciate it, but... 
There's another example I want to give you, and this is just flat-out ingratitude. My uncle, who has been a mentor to me in ministry in, in many ways, and we've traveled together in a lot of different countries, um, he was in Europe at a conference. I don't remember what country he was in, but he said that he was sitting in the lobby of his hotel, and there was a young man about age 16 on the telephone, and you could hear this guy on the telephone, and he was agitated. He was speaking English, but I think he was from Korea. Uh, he was speaking and becoming much louder on the telephone to the point to where everybody in the lobby area could hear what was going on, and he was becoming more and more demonstrative. He finally lit into profanity and was cursing on the telephone. Come to find out he was cursing at his parents on the telephone, and he was just terribly upset because he had only been in Europe for a week, and he had already run out of the $16,000 that they had given him to be there, and he needed more money. And for some reason, they didn't want to send him any more money. $16,000 in a week. But that's ingratitude. Ingratitude is where we do not express thankfulness or show um, uh, uh, gratitude um, for somebody having done something for us. And you know what's interesting, and Pastor Farrell touched on this last week, that ingratitude is spoken of in the Bible as being a characteristic of the, of the days that we're living in, in the last days. There's all kinds of things going on in the world right now, but you can see in the hearts and lives of people that there are a lot of people that are very emboldened, um, almost like they don't care about other people. They're, all, they're looking out for themselves, and ingratitude is becoming ingrained in the, in the, in the heart of the culture. Now, we took a sojourn down into Tampa for about four and a half years, and in our time down there, I had an experience where a good friend of ours invited me to meet him at what he called his second office, which was Starbucks. So we went down to Starbucks to go have a cup of coffee and to talk. And when we arrived, it was packed. There was, I mean, this was a Starbucks where you'd see people pull up in their cut-off jeans and they'd be driving Bentleys. You know, it was, it catered to the upper-end clientele. And uh, a lot of the wealthy people from the town would go there. And I remember we arrived one day and all the chairs inside were, were taken up. So he said, well, let's just go outside and sit. And all the chairs outside were taken except for one table that had one chair. And there was a, a, ch a chair by another table, three tables there. There were two people sitting there and then a Yorkie. And I didn't have a chair. And so my friend said, would you mind if we use that chair so that he can have a seat? And can you just hold your dog? And the people emphatically looked at me and said, no, the dog was there first. And, and uh, that was one of the first dogs I've ever seen to sprout wings. No, no, not really. I was tempted. But no, the, I ended up having to stand. And, but it's just amazing how people have gotten in society where people are valued less than things. Or, or uh, you know, we, we don't know how to put a true value on things. Anyhow, we're going to move along. Um, one of the things that's sure in this Christian life is, and I'm thankful for it, and that is that, that one of God's purposes in our life is that every one of us have areas of our lives that need to change. Um, when, when I left North Carolina, I had, been, I had been working as an associate pastor in a church for here for 16 years. God opened up some other doors for us where we were going to go down to Tampa to work with a nonprofit, and I was able to do some travel internationally. Um, there were some things that had been promised that really didn't come into being, which kind of shifted our focus dramatically. And uh, one of the paths that God took me on was that a door opened up for me to become a life coach. 
And I was a life coach with what was at that time the world's largest motivational speaker company. I won't mention the name, um, but I worked with them and ended up managing their life coaching division. In that process, I had the opportunity to work with with uh, executives in corporations. I got to work with some people that were uh, world-class athletes. One guy was a five-time world champion martial arts guy. Pretty impressive. Um, but here's what I've learned about everybody. Nobody has more than 25 hour, 20, 25, 24 hours in a day. I'm making one up. 24 hours in a day. And so if you are professional and you are spending the required amount of hours in the day to be able to be the professional in that area carrying the heavy load, it just means that the rest of your life is getting squeezed into a smaller amount of time. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so everybody trying to balance out family and health and fitness and rest and professional career, everybody gets squeezed in different kind of ways. So I had the opportunity to work with people who were trying to make change. And one thing that I found was it didn't matter how high on the totem pole somebody was or how um, seemingly insignificant somebody's life was, everybody needs to change. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that I'm not living a static life. I don't want to just be the person who has been. I want to get better. Anybody with me? Anybody got any room for improvement? Just talk to your spouse. We all need to improve. And God embraces that as well. And so when we come to the Lord, He, he comes alongside us to help us to be able to make changes in our life. Um, I remember, I remember one time I was just feeling really bad about something that I had been through in my life, something that, that I felt responsible for. And I was on the floor in a church on my face, and I was crying, and just, I just cried snotty. You know what I'm talking about? I was just, I mean, I just had a down-to-earth moment with the Lord, and I was just feeling really bad. And I felt like God spoke to me and said, when I asked you to give me your life, I wanted all of it. He said, you've made a mistake thinking I just wanted the cleaned-up parts or the, or the shiny parts. He said, but I want all of it. I can change it. And I just felt this release, and so I turned around and said, okay, God. I said, I give you all of my life. At that particular moment, I was dealing with a financial issue, and I felt bad because I felt like it was restraining me from what I needed to do in ministry, and so I was feeling bad because I had put myself in a bondage, and I was hindering what God could do through my life, and uh, I said, okay, God. I said, it's yours. I said, I give you my debt, so what are you going to do about it? I was almost tongue-in-cheek because I was really feeling free. And I want you to know that night, somebody uh, come, I was walking around the church, and somebody uh, drove into the parking lot, and they said, David, here, I just felt impressed that I need to give this to you today. And uh, it worked out to where he said that he was in service, and about the time I was praying on the floor, he looked at his wife and said, Honey, I feel like we're supposed to do something for, for David. And she said, Well, I just felt the same impression. And so I was joking around with the Lord saying, Lord, what are you going to do about it? And God already had the base covered. He was already taking care of that. And I thank the Lord for miracles. Amen? And, and I, I want to I tell you this. I probably shared that story because somebody's sitting out there and you feel like that somehow you fell off of God's radar. But I'm going to tell you, God's radar doesn't have a boundary. Okay? It's eternal. It covers all time. It covers all space. He knows exactly what you're going through. So I just want to encourage you, if you're dealing with something, just reach out to God and let him know, God, I'm struggling with this. He's big enough. 
He knows what you're wrestling with. He knows how to get you through it too. Amen? All right, I want to go to Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Man, I spent a lot of time in that front end of that. We'll, we'll get it all back around. This is, this is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, okay? Um, it says in the Phillips translation, Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good. It meets all his demands and moves towards the goal of true maturity. So it says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Let's look at, uh, I'm going to come back to that one, but let's go to the next verse. Um, I want you to see how this, this one says it. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Isn't that interesting? Kind of like, don't allow yourself to wear a ghillie suit in life. Do you know what a ghillie suit is? It's camouflage that they use in the military to completely hide themselves in their environment. The snipers will wear that kind of suit. Looks like shredded straw and, and things. Someone else could give a much better illustration of that. But don't, don't be camouflaged so well into your culture that you don't make a difference. Now, I'm not talking about people walking around being obnoxious as Christians. You know what I'm saying? But I'm talking about don't just blend in so much. They need to be able to see there's something different. But hopefully what they're seeing is something good and desirable, not something that's obnoxious. Let's go back to the, the other rendering of that scripture. And... Uh, Back to the Phillips translation and see, it says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. Let's spend a little time on this. God is at work in our lives to help change us into everything that he's created us for, okay? The scripture talks about the Holy Spirit in uh, creation. The first mention of, of the Holy Spirit, it talks about, and the Spirit of God and I mess up, I'm, I, it's cultural for me, but I mess up how I'm supposed to say this word, so bear with me. I get confused as whether I'm supposed to say hover or hover. Is it hover or hover? Thank you. We'll go with it. Whatever you said, we'll go with that. But the Spirit of God was hover hovering over the, the waste places of the earth before God had come in and really formed it and shaped it into the way he wanted it to be. The elements were there. The substance was there. But the Spirit of God was still brooding over that, that unformed creation. In my heart, my understanding of it, it's like with anticipation, excited anticipation about what God was getting ready to do. God the Father and God the Son were getting ready to do. So you've got the Spirit of God involved in creation. God the Father's got this, this eternal plan, and Jesus is involved in creation too. They're all working together to be able to create their purpose and plan. The same way the Holy Spirit is, is still here today. When Jesus died and was resurrected, he told his disciples, look, he said, I'm going to go be with the Father, and I have to go because if I don't go, then the Father won't be able to send the Holy Spirit to you, the Comforter. So Jesus said, I'm going to go to the Father, and he's going to send the promise of the Holy Spirit to you. But it was such an important and vital part of the life of the early church and the, the life of the believer that Jesus told his disciples, even though they were in a city where they could be facing persecution, think about that in terms of real-life persecution like what's going on in the Middle East right now. It's not just, you know, some kind of light, biblical, distant thing. It was real-life persecution like you could, they could take your life. They had the potential of that. Jesus said, look, don't leave Jerusalem until you receive the promise. 
because the Holy Spirit is intended to be a vital part of our lives. Well, the Holy Spirit in our lives is like the guardian over the transformation that's happening in our lives. Just the way that he hover hovered over creation when it was an unformed mass in our lives when we are completely undone, we're just getting started in this life, or if we've matured in the faith, he's still right there with us whispering in our ear and giving us ideas about things that we need to do. Sometimes it may be whispering a little harder than that. But he is there to protect us, to guide us, and to empower us so that we can live a successful and dynamic life for the Lord. Now, I want to go back to this scripture where it talks about squeeze you into its mold, okay? The way of the world and the way of religion in its negative form is that the endeavor is to press you compact you or squeeze you into a certain shape or function, a certain look to make you conform to a certain uh, uh, perspective of what, you, what you're supposed to look like as a, as a Christian or as a person. The world wants you to look like them, act like them, dress like them, talk like them, and don't challenge the way I'm living my life. Just let me be. You know, it's all about pleasure and, and doing their own thing. But it, the end of it is death. But the world is trying to, it's the, the term that's used here and in another rendering in the Bible is to conform. Be no longer conformed to the ways of this world. That word conform is literally the term that's used for a metal press where you take raw uh, liquid metal and you compact it to make it come out stamped. And you can stamp that same stamp over and over and over and over again. And you get money that comes out or something that comes out. But it all looks exactly the same, duplicates. Um, the other night I was getting ready to use the term um, carbon copy, but it doesn't really relate anymore. So you can say cut and paste or copy and paste. We're taking this and we're going to do the same thing right over here. Taking this and putting the exact same thing. Who wants to live a life like that? Anybody here eager to just be a, a, a stamped out, duplication of something the bible uses a different term in what god wants to do he said but let god remold you in your minds from within so it's not an external pressure coming and just compacting you and squeezing you into this uncomfortable mold so that you pop out distorted but this remolding that god does is from the inside out and when i looked into that word be transformed it's the same word that's used in the, in the day, in the, the writing of the Bible, in, in that, the common language, to describe the work of a glass blower. And you've probably seen people on TV, or some of you may have been to theme parks or things like that. I know I've been to theme parks and seen people working with glass to where they will take uh, actually silica, uh, glass, uh, um, sand, and they will melt it down. And they'll take that and put it under really hot heat, and then they will take and with a take a rod and stick it in that sand and get a, a clump of it. I don't know any technical term for it, so I'll call it a clump. A clump on the end, and then that master craftsman will take that and and as it's hot and molten, will roll it and roll it and roll it, and it'll cool to a certain temperature where he can realize that it's at a place now to where it's yield enough. I can work with this. I can work with this, and so they'll begin to blow on the end of that thing, and that. The breath of that master craftsman coming through that tube into that glass begins to expand that glass that was at one time just sand to where it can begin to become, become something that is a reflection of his handiwork, his craftsmanship, his pattern and plan that he's designed. 
And over the process of time and, and balanced pressure and that breath from the inside, you see a transformation. That sand becomes something completely different and beautiful and something that, that's desirable. In effect, a masterpiece. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 describes us, says that you are his workmanship, literally the word masterpiece. Now, you can go ahead and look at yourself and just claim it for yourself. Say, I am a masterpiece. I may be in progress. I may have a long way to go, but I'm a masterpiece. I'm, God is working inside me to develop me into what he wants me to be. Isn't that a beautiful picture? You are his masterpiece. But the Holy Spirit is working inside of us. He sent us his Holy Spirit to work from the inside out to transform us. It's not that we are being squeezed into something. But it's as we hear him and begin to just out of the, the gratitude of our own hearts to be able to yield ourselves to his process that his masterpiece develops inside of us. I better go back to my glasses here. We're not duplicates. God sent us a personal trainer, the Holy Spirit. How many of you need a personal trainer? Amen. Hallelujah. God's working in our lives. You ought to see this. I've got my pages all mixed up. All right. Look, I went down the path the other day at the house. I live on family land. My great-granddad bought that land uh, many years ago, and they've farmed it. They pulled stumps. Uh, it went through all kinds of transitions, and now it's been divided up quite a bit. But they're down the path, not actually on our land, but right beside our land is this grand old oak tree down there. And uh, it's been a, a place where we've gone. We've taken pictures as a family. We've... Uh, uh, walk down there and watch sunsets. I go down there sometime to see if I can see any deer in the backfield. And uh, I'm going to have hunters knocking on my door. Um, but just a few days ago, I went for a walk down there and I picked up this. Because I was thinking, if there was something I could give you today, I would love to be able to give each one of you one of these. Now, I did not bring a whole bunch of bags with me. Um, but just symbolically, I would love to give you this. And I know you can hardly see it from where you are, but it's an acorn. So my gift to you today is an acorn. And most of you are probably thinking that's what we thought. We, we, we thought you were nuts. So, now, but, but there's so much in this. And, and to be honest with you, in my life, God has taken the principle of an acorn and has just fleshed it out. And you'll see page after page of things where I've taken and, and drawn an acorn. And it starts out really with a heart. I'll start with a heart understanding God's love expressed to us, that it's God's love who reached out to us, and then I'll form that thing into a, to an acorn that is a principle to me of God's purpose and plan and what he wants to accomplish in my life. And then back behind that, I'll draw an oak tree. And this oak tree, uh, to me, expresses the fullness of what God wants to accomplish. He doesn't want to just leave us where he started us, but he's got a purpose and plan for our life. He's in the process of working in us to develop something for his pleasure. And I can tell you this, God's got a big, big perspective and a big picture view of your life right now. He doesn't just see a big old acorn, see an acorn nor an oak tree, but he sees a forest of trees that have been populated because of the work that he's done in your life. But there's a principle involved in our ability to be able to achieve the purpose or the plan for what God has for our life. Number one, God supplies the vision. The pattern is right here. The purpose and the plan is contained in this nut or this acorn. I don't guess it's really a nut. It's an acorn. But this has got the design for the future and everything that the tree would ever be. 
But what it needs is receptive soil, right? Um, the Bible talks about a sower who went out and sowed seed. And when he went out sowing seed, some of the ground was hard and unreceptive to it, maybe because there had been people trampling on, on that ground. And it was so compacted that it could not be receptive to the Word of God. It could not be receptive to the promise and the purpose. A lot of people in life, you can sit there and talk to your blue in the face to them about God, and until they get until they're willing to let go of the broken places in their life, the hard places of their life, they will never be able to receive the Word of God. But God, if you continue to pray for them, God will find a way to be able to penetrate their hearts. The, the sower also went to, there was good ground, but it was such rocky ground because sometimes we tend to harbor things like unforgiveness and bitterness. And it can restrict how fruitful we can become with the purpose and plan of God. And, but if, the Holy, if we allow the Holy Spirit to be involved in our life, He will continue digging and rooting out. We, we had a house in Africa that when we bought that house, I'm talking about growing up, um, the ground was so rocky, and my dad always wanted chickens and a garden. I've got chickens, not much of a garden. But um, we, had, we ended up spending hours upon hours upon hours taking the rocks out of the ground and making a pile, and we had a pile probably about that high and from here to the, the keyboard back there of just a rock pile that we had taken out of the garden. But we ended up, after we removed the rocks, having a very fruitful garden in that place. But it was only because the rocks had been removed. And there are certain things that you will never be able to accomplish in your life with the Lord unless you're willing to, willing to let go of the hard places. You've got to be willing to get the rocks out. Let go of bitterness. Let go of unforgiveness or ingratitude. Let those things go. They're not doing you any good. How many of you know that unforgiveness only hurts you? For the most part, those people that hurt you have moved on in life. They may have even gotten healed and set free and everything like that. But the unforgiveness will be an anchor to you that he keeps you from being able to fill your purposes. Anyhow, coming back to this. In order for the purpose of God, God's plan God's promise for your life to take root, your life has got to be receptive to what he has for you. Now, some of us have a hard time believing what God says about our life. For instance, that scripture that says, you are more than conquerors, but you're sitting there struggling for rent or for a house payment. You're struggling to pay your bills. You're struggling with, with sickness. You're struggling with family members and relationships. And when you hear that verse that says, you're more than a conqueror, it almost feels like somebody is taking you and slapping you right in the face with it when it should be an encouragement. I can, I, I, believe me, I grew up in an amazing family and I had some amazing experience in life, but I have not been immune to hardship. I've not been immune to hard times. I'm not coming and speaking to you as someone that's somehow on, in a, on an ivory tower pedestal or living behind a, a, a protective glass or something like that. You know, we launched out to go down to Florida, and in that time period down there, I mean, we struggled to live. We, we did not have the finances that we needed with both my wife and I working. We were having to put our children in situations that we weren't really comfortable with, but in order to live and survive, we had to do that. Um, I mean, we had just all kinds of things, rat infestations that came into our house. That's a horrible thing. I'm not talking about mice. We went away for one week and came back after Christmas, and our house was, they had mowed the big field out, out behind our house. And if you've lived out in the farm, you probably know what I'm talking about. We had been inundated with rats. And uh, um, in the middle of 
putting ourselves out on the line to serve God with, with as much sensitivity and devotion to do exactly what God's telling me to do today that we could. Um, and I was traveling internationally and training and doing things. I was one week from going to Korea to train pastors, and uh, my wife told me that I didn't look good. And, it, you know, you don't really want to ever hear that, but it had been a progressive thing. I was progressively not looking good. No, but she said, David, I think you need to go see the doctor. And with the encouragement of some friends and to overcome my severe man brain, um, ended up going to see the doctor and was diagnosed with colon cancer. And so, you know, literally, I mean, I had been praying for people and seeing people get healed, and then I'm contracting colon cancer, and we had to walk through the journey of, of my surgery and recovery from colon cancer. And there were just so many things that we got bombarded with, but in the middle of all that, I'll just testify with this one thing. We, we, before leaving Tampa, we sat down around the table, and I just felt like I needed to do this with my family because we had been through a whole lot. And I said, I want to ask you a question about Tampa. I said, you know, we were in North Carolina, and, and, and we, we, things were going well in North Carolina. We moved to Tampa in order to follow the Lord. I want to know my children's perspective. I want to know my wife's perspective on this part of the journey. And at that point, my daughter, who was at that, was at that age, was 16 years old. She said, Dad, when we lived in, you know, we were at a church, and, and, and uh, we had cars and a house that was provided for us and things like that. She said, Dad, when we lived in Wilson, we were comfortable. She said, I was comfortable. She said, Tampa's been hard. She said, but I've grown, and I don't ever have to be comfortable again. And I thought, you know, that was worth something right there. To be able to develop inside of us, inside of you, a resilience, no matter what we're going through, that our feet are planted on something more than just circumstances or just substance that we, that we own. What happens if it all got stripped away? Where would you be at that point? You know, is there still enough foundation underneath you? And I'll tell you, our foundation comes from nowhere else than in Jesus Christ. He provides us the stability to stand in the middle of the storm. Jesus said this, and I love this passage. It said, in this world you will have trouble. Isn't that exciting? And every one of us could raise our hands and testify that, yes, it's true. We have trouble. In this world you'll have trouble. But he didn't stop there. He said, but fear not. For I have overcome the world. And that's our promise as well. This same Jesus, this same Jesus that overcame the world will give us the strength not just to endure but also to overcome the things that, that come in life. You know, um, let's go real quickly to Psalm chapter 9. I'm going to have to skip a few rocks across the pond right now because I've taken a long time on the front end of the sermon. But we'll hit the high points, okay? David wrote this right here. And we all know David from the Bible. King David started out as a shepherd boy. God helped him to uh, kill Goliath and then exalted him to king over the land. And in all of that that had gone on in David's life, David writes this, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds, and I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. It sounds like a worship song, because it is. It's a psalm that was written to worship the Lord. And it sounds, you know, sure, somebody sitting up in, a, in a, a king's palace and coming from where he came, of course he's thankful. Except that when you spend time looking at this chapter and you go to the very beginning of it, it starts out with these words in the Hebrew. It says, Muth Laban. And I don't speak Hebrew, but Muth Laban, 
So if you do, you can probably correct me. But um, Muth Laban actually describes the framework in which this song was to be sung or what the environment was for this song. This song, and Muth Laban literally means the death of a son. David lost two sons in his life. One son died as a young boy because of David's rebellion and sin. And because of that, he bore the weight of his own son's death. He prayed, he fasted, he asked God to, to stop that, but God had already declared that that was going to be the punishment. And David's son died because of his sin. And then there was another son who completely rebelled against David and actually at one time usurped the kingdom from his own father and sent David and, and his entourage running while he came in and took possession of the palace and the nation. And then that son, in, in a, a battle situation, was riding through some trees and his hair got hung in a tree. He ended up hanging and died in the, in, in the tree. And David, you know, David wasn't living some pristine, protected life. If you go back through the Bible and look at his life, he was dealing with things. But yet he had the strength to be able to come back and say, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, with all my heart, and I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praises of your name, O Most High. I, I want to move just, I'm going to go ahead and close out here because we've been here long enough. But we're, we're approaching a, a time frame in life. And, you know, we're talking about Minecraft. We're talking about developing an attitude of gratitude in our lives. Um, there are extremely hard things that happen in this life. One of the most difficult things for me was just a few years ago when my own father, who had lived such an amazing life as a missionary in Africa, uh, since, since 1961, he and mom had been missionaries in Africa and uh, spoke eight languages like I told you to. He pioneered, there are probably thousands of churches in Africa because of the work that my dad did. He oversaw the work in eight different countries at one time. And, uh, but in his latter years, he was eager to serve the Lord and did not come back from the mission field when he was having a major health issue. So it progressed and it got to, to be something that went far beyond what it should have. He became very sick, went through surgery. But post-surgery, they had to shock him uh, back twice, and uh, it affected his nerves in such a way that he struggled to be able to stand up and speak in front of people. Just really a heartbreaking, heartbreaking experience. And it ended up to where Dad's last days with medication and things that were, were messed up and out of balance and things like that, Dad lost his life, and he took his own life. And I share that not to in any way discredit him because I understand that when your mind is sick, you may do things that aren't, aren't appropriate. But if, you, if anybody here knew him, and I know that there are some that, that do, that his life, that he lived for the Lord was just an amazing life. People have requested to have the opportunity to be able to write the story of his life. Um, and it's very hard for me to tell you that I can stand up here and give thanks to the Lord for that event. I cannot thank the Lord for that event. But here's what has to shift in our lives when we experience things like that. We have to change the focus because it's not the event that should be our focus, but it's the process of God. I can look back over what happened with my dad and I can see God's hand at work and how he prepared and how he has healed our family, how he's brought us through that hard place and made us stronger for it. 
how God has been able to take even that harsh and terrible thing and be able to strengthen other people, bringing it back down to realville. People deal with stuff. And if we make it look like even, even uh, people who are leaders don't have struggles, then we peop do people a disservice. But I can tell you this. We can, we can say just like, like the Scripture says that we have hope if we have Jesus. We have hope in the Lord. And um, the, the pilgrims that established Thanksgiving, it's told of them that out of the 120 that survived after the, the voyage across the Atlantic, that 40 of those people died in their first year in the United States, that they literally dug more graves than they built huts. But yet the end of that horrendous year for them, that they took the time to be thankful and give glory to God. And I think that we can, where we are today, no matter what it is that you're dealing with, find something to give glory to God for. Find something that you can thank the Lord for. And when we approach Thanksgiving two Thursdays from now, don't just make it about turkey and football and that wonderful nap that follows that. I love that. Turkey, yeah. Get, when you get all turkey-fied and then you get a good nap, you wake up and you wonder what day it is, but there's more turkey to get you through. Um, take time that day to be with your family and your, your friends or your loved ones, whoever you're with, and just spend some time giving thanks to the Lord for what he's done in your life or for the people that you're with. And let's really make it a time of thanksgiving. And don't let it get lost up, lost in all the other things that are going on. Um, let's make it a special thanksgiving. I'm going to ask you if you would to stand with me. I've gone way longer than what I should have and should have. And thank you for being gracious to me. Um, but I want us to pray right now. Because as in the early service this morning, I felt the Lord take me on a few different tangents in some different ways. And I know that when he's doing that, it's because he's speaking directly to somebody's life. That somebody here is dealing with something that's really bigger than you are. It's, it's a bit too much for you to be able to carry on your own. And I just want to tell you this. God did not design you to be able to carry it on your own. God's designed you to need him. And he's created just enough space in your life that he can come in and fill. And he'll give you the strength to get through. Not only that, God's put resources around you. If you're going through something and you need help, reach out to your friends, to your family. Reach out to the church and let them know that you're dealing with something because there's resources here to get you through. So I want to encourage you to do that. But if you're here this morning, I want to just specifically identify you. If this has spoken to you, if there's something that you're struggling with that just feels like it's overwhelming, would you just take a moment and have just enough courage to raise your hand? I'm not going to point you out in any kind of way other than to pray for you. Thank you for being honest. Thank you. Thank you. All over this place. Look, I, I want to see you. Are you over here? Anybody? Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I know, I don't know exactly what you're going through, and I'm not even going to play that game, but I know what you're going through. But I can tell you this, in the most horrendous things that we've had to go through as a family, I know that God's been faithful. We've been, I mean, even growing up, 10 years in a civil war, knowing friends and people that were killed, knowing the fear of what it would be to lose our own life, knowing what it is to feel like you're running out of money, not knowing what tomorrow is going to hold for you, going through major health issues, losing family members, feeling betrayal from people that you love. God knows what that's like too. And uh, he's big enough to be able to carry you through. So let's bow our heads and pray. Father, I want to thank you, God, 
Because, Lord, even if we didn't know you in the past, we can come to you today, and, Lord, we can discover how awesome you are. Lord, I'm going to thank you that you don't judge us because of where we came from, and, Lord, nor do you only value us for what we've accomplished in our path, but, Lord, you do come alongside us to be able to help us to live a life in the future, dear God, that you're helping to create a new person inside of us that we can be a display of your glory. And God, we specifically lift today those that have raised their hands. And right now, Lord, I'm praying for a special administration of your Holy Spirit to reach out to them. God, come alongside them. Breathe on them afresh. And God, I pray that you would be a comfort to them, that they would find the wind beneath their wings right now to lift them up, to raise their head. And God, I pray that you would infuse them with hope for the future. God, if they need resources, Lord, if they need support, if they need people to come alongside them, God, right now, we extend our hands towards them, and as a congregation, we lift them up. And God, I pray that you would show yourself to be the I am that I am, that you would be everything that they would ever need. And God, we give you the praise and the glory for this. And God, right here in the middle of this, while we're joined together for this purpose, we just want to say together as a group to say thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the promise that you fill our lives with. Thank you for the future that you've called us to. And thank you for everything that you've given us to be, equip us to be able to be successful in it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.